Church, say amen. amen. All right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter number 4. And if you did not get a lesson, who's got, who's got the extra lessons? Brother Johnny's right there. If you did not get a lesson, if you did not get a lesson, raise your hand real high. We want to make sure you get a lesson tonight over here on this side. All right, halfway in the back, all the way to the back. Now, I need everybody to be able to see uh, the right board. I had it in the center, but the film, the camera won't work with it there, so we had to move it. Uh, can everybody see this? If you cannot see this, raise your hand. If you cannot see this, raise your hand. Uh, all right, then move where you can see it. All right, no. I'm just. <laughs> all right, we got to do the best we can. Amen. All right. Isn't it good to be saved? How many of you have enjoyed your life group with Courageous this week? Hadn't that been great? Amen. Brother Buchanan is going to come up real quickly, and he's, he's not going to use much of my time at all. But he's got something encouraging to say about life groups. Um, I will say, uh, this is God has just been uh, moving in a tremendous way with this whole Courageous awesome. series. Just how he's, even the sign-ups and, and getting the hosts and things like that. But what I did is, and, and we've got a meeting all this week, so there's still some people that haven't met yet, but I, I called every single group host on Sunday, or excuse me, on Monday night that had one on Sunday, and every single person, wow, it was amazing. God really showed up. You know, we, we, we were challenged and convicted about some things. So um, I'm, here's what I'm telling you. It's still not too late. Everybody say, it's not too late. Not too late. Not too late. Say it one more time. It's not, it's not too late, okay? So we did have some groups that really filled up fast. So what I did tonight, I've been taking off those, and we probably have about 10 or 12 groups that still have space for you. So don't wait, okay? Get in a group. Even if it's already met, hey, you got three more weeks of this. I promise you it will be a blessing. If you've already been a life group this week, say amen. Amen. Oh, see? That's a, hey, I, I did that on purpose, okay? See, there's not enough amens, so you all got to experience what's going on. If you've enjoyed your life group, say amen. Amen. There you go. Thanks. All right. Romans 4. Let's look in verse number 1. Romans 4. We are uh, going to continue with the, the subject of justified. Say that word with me. Justified. justified. That is what takes place when a sinner comes to Christ and he receives salvation. He is justified. Uh, he is declared righteous. When you are justified, God declares you righteous. He doesn't make you righteous. He declares you righteous. You say, what do you mean by that? If, if everybody was made righteous the moment they got saved, they would never sin again. They would never, they would never have a mistake and get angry at their wife and say something they're not supposed to. Amen, men? That would never happen. Uh, we would be perfect. We would never fail again. We would never fall again. We'd never have an issue. But we all know that's not the truth. We're not made perfect. We're declared righteous. God took the righteousness of his son, the fulfillment of the law in his son, and placed it on our account. He placed it on our account. He declared us righteous or justified. And wh how did we say that? How do we say that? Just if I'd never sinned. Isn't that a great feeling? Now, I might not look good to you, and you might not look good to me, but when God looks down upon us and we're saved, he looks at us as if we had never sinned. Amen. Now, uh, last week we, we learned about justification. We learned uh, some of the basics about it and, and what it means. Now, this week we're going to learn how we receive that, the mode in how we receive that, and he illustrates it with the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham was their hero. And he's primarily speaking to a Jewish group. And if you know, uh, as reading the Gospels, they were very, very, 
very traditionalistic and religious. And they depended solely upon Abraham. I mean, they kept going back to him. He's our father. We're of Abraham and, and so forth. So they, Paul wants to take a chapter and show them how Paul got saved. Do you know how people got saved in the Old Testament? The same way they get saved in the New Testament, by faith. Somebody said, oh, you get saved in the Old Testament by following the law. No, -uh. it's always been by faith. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to take an Old Testament character, which was their hero, Abraham, and show everybody how he was saved, and that was through faith. Amen? Romans chapter number 4 and verse number 1. Has everybody found their spot? What shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, what has he found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? i got to be honest with y'all. Uh, this week I was studying this, and, uh, and I come across this, this word, and I about had a fit. I, I, I almost ran out of my office, and, and just, we have got to get back to what saith the scripture. I don't care what your grandmammy said. I don't care what the preacher down the road said. I don't care what the theologian in the college said. What does the Bible say? Don't base anything on anybody's opinion, but what does the Scripture say? And Paul is a master at this. Anytime he is to present a truth, anytime he is to present what he wants them to know and understand and believe, he goes back to the Old Testament Scripture and proves his point by the Bible, which is a good thing. Amen? What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it, what? Believing God, was counted for him, or unto him, for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? Or when was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though he be not circumcised, that righteousness shall be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them, in other words, the Jews and the Gentiles, to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith, our father Abraham, which he had yet, or had been, excuse me, which he had been yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of, the righteousness of faith. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness today. God, help us to learn everything we can to help us be stronger Christians today, stronger today than we've ever been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. This thing's popping an awful lot, guys, if you can help me with that. Uh, here's, here's a breakdown. Here's a breakdown of religion in the world. There's only two kinds of religion. I know there's a, 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 a gazillion amount of denominations. There's so many different beliefs and preferences and opinions and all that kind of thing. 
But basically, when it's all said and done, there's only two kinds of religion. There's a works religion, and there's a grace religion. There is a works religion and a faith religion. Some people believe you get to heaven by works, and the right people believe you get to heaven by faith. All right? And here's the way, here's the way we see this. Uh, you can basically put here, go all the way back to the beginning of time, and put Cain. Cain, who would go here? Abel, all right, Abel. Now, one's works, one's faith. One's by his own hands, one's by believing the direction that God gave him and what he said to do by the sacrifices of the animals, by the blood sacrifice. One is works, one is faith, all right? Throughout this whole chapter and even through the whole book of Romans, we're going to see this over and over and over again. What way do we get saved? Uh, do you remember when we started this series, when we started the very beginning of the Roman series? Uh, Romans is how to be right with God or how to be righteous or what basically righteous means right with God. We all want to know how to be right with God. We all want to know how to be righteous. And Paul spends an extended period and amount of time through the whole book of Romans explaining to us that we are saved by faith, not works. Now, look in your notes. Look in your notes on the top of your notes. I put a verse in there right at the very top of your notes, a, a great verse that we all should memorize. Everybody should know this verse. For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Not of lest any man should boast. Now, watch this. Let's break that down a little bit. For by, say it with me, for by grace. Are you saved? That's God's. Grace is God's operation. For by grace are you saved through. That's man's operation. Grace is God's job. Faith is our job. Y'all with me? Now watch this. This was what Paul was combating so much dealing with. A, a lot, not just the book of Romans. But the book of Galatians. You know, many places, many places that Paul went to, there was a group of people called the Judaizers. And it was a group of people who were trying to mix Christianity and Judaism together. Judaism is the following of the law, the obedience to the law, uh, the law of Moses and the, and the, and the Levit Levitical sacrifices and all of that. And they were trying to take the Levitical law and, and the new uh, movement of Christianity and blend it together. In other words, we have to believe in Christ but we have to fulfill the law too, all right? Does everybody understand that? Well, Paul is combating that. When Christ came, when Christ came, he fulfilled the law. It's not by following the law. It's not by obeying the law. It's by grace. It's the grace of God. It's not by works. It's not by anything we could do. We, we, in other words, we don't believe. Here's what they were saying. Christianity says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be all right, the Judaizers were saying, you believe in Christ, then if you're male, you have to be circumcised, you have to take that outward seal, uh, that outward covenant sign of the Jewish nation, and then you have to follow the law, then you have to, you can't eat pork, and you can't do, are y'all with me? They were adding works to faith, and Paul was explaining to them, it's not by works, because if it's works, it's not faith, and if it's faith, it's not works. Does that make sense? Now watch this. Now let's talk about Abraham. 
because they always wanted to go back to Abraham. They always were really proud of their heritage and, hey, he, we are of Father Abraham. So let's talk about Abraham a little bit. Let's, let's, Paul takes him and let's use him for an illustration and go through our notes today, all right? Number one, number one, I want you to see the truth that he references, the truth that he goes back to. He said, all right, before I make my argument, before I describe to you uh, what I want you to know and what I want to teach you, I want you to know we're going to go back to the scriptures. Never believe somebody's opinion if they can't back it with the word. Never believe somebody's teachings if they can't back it up with the word. Uh, I told y'all the other day there was a, 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 not an argument, but there was a discussion on Facebook. And one guy, they were talking about, they were talking about a certain topic, and, and uh, one fellow said, uh, we, should, we should trust whatever the man of God says God told him. Now, now, there's some truth to that, and, 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 and there's some danger to that. As long as what the man of God tells you, you can take the word and back it up. But if you can't back up what the man of God, supposedly man of God, because that word is thrown around a lot. That word is thrown around a lot. When I surrendered to preach, I was 17 years old. And I met, I met an older preacher, which was a man of God. I mean, he was a man of God. I sat across the table from him, and, 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 and you know, I was, I was nervous, and I, I was just, just proud to tell uh, Brother Biggs that, that I had surrendered to preach, and I believe God was calling me to preach. And we was in a room, we was in a room full of, uh, I mean, slam full of preachers. It was at a fellowship meeting, a camp meeting or something, and it was after the services, and everybody was in the fellowship hall eating, and it was slam full of preachers. And, uh, and I was sitting across from Brother Biggs, and, and I said, I said, Dr. Biggs, I said, I surrendered to preach this Sunday. I believe God's called me to preach. And I was expecting this, all right, man, congratulations, wonderful, and all this kind of, because that's what everybody else does. And, uh, and he, he put his fork down and looked me dead in my eyeball. I mean, just as serious. Look, and if you know Brother Biggs, uh, he was a Navy SEAL, and, and he was bad. He still is bad to the bone. I picked him up from the from the uh, uh, the motel room, and he's in his he's in his uh, uh, probably his high fifties or low sixties. And when he come to the door, he said, "Hey, boy!" And I just just went weak in my knees. I mean, this he's just something. I'm telling you. And if you don't know, if you know him, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, am I right, sissy? Uh, Mindy, y'all know this guy is unbelievable. Man of God, he can preach like you never seen. And this is what he said. He looked at me dead in my eyes. He said, "Malcolm." He said, preachers are a dime a dozen. And all of a sudden, and you know how loud it is when in, in a hall where people eat and all this, and all of a sudden it went. Whoosh. Everybody quit eating? Everybody? He said, preachers are a dime a dozen. Kind of like with disgust in his voice. He said, but real men of God are few and far between. Well, I've never forgotten that. One thing I've learned, one thing I've learned over the, the period of time I've been preaching is that a man of God speaks the word of God. God taught me something just a couple weeks ago. I was studying, I was studying, and there was I was seeing, I was seeing what God was saying with the chapter. But the chapter had a, it could, I could have strode away from the chapter and said some things that I, I felt like I needed to say. 
Some of y'all caught it. Because there were some things I, I, I felt like I needed to say to the congregation. And we have a tendency, and if and the only people who knows this is preachers in here, you know, Brother Clay going, you know what I'm, what I'm trying. Sometimes we want to say something. And we try to get the Bible to back up what we want you to know. And, and what I wanted to say was something good to say, but it wasn't what he was saying. You hear what I'm saying? And God said, get back to what I'm saying. Because the power of God is not in opinions. It's not in theories. It's not, And I'm not running a rabbit. I'm right on track. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Brother Craig said it well. When you're preaching from the Bible, God's got your back. Now watch what he says. Watch what he says. Paul says in verse number, he's describing, he opens up the chapter with, what about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. You're so fond of him. You want to brag about him. You want to brag about your heritage. You come from Abraham. What about Abraham? Uh, uh what, verse 3, say it with me, for what saith the scripture? I want you to write down this in your notes. A, under the truth he references. I want you to write down this. I want you to see the confirmation of the scriptures. And why would I put this in here? We're talking about faith and we're talking about the faith of Abraham and how Abraham was saved. But why am I making such an emphasis right here? Man, if there's anything that we need to be confirmed about and we need to know, it's how we get saved. Because there's so many religions and there's so many beliefs and there's so many people running around saying there's many, there's many roads to God and just, uh, listen, you just, just whatever works for you is good enough. And if we don't know what we believe and we don't know why we believe it, we're going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that passes by. Every famous teacher, every Hollywood star, anybody that you feel is important, when they come by and say something, you're going to be tossed to and fro. But if we always go back to a final authority, what saith the Scripture? Why do you believe what you believe? Because I can take you to the Scripture. Why do you do what you do? I can take you to the Scripture. We need to be confirmed. We need to be confident in what we believe by what saith the Scripture. The confirmation of the scriptures. He didn't go about what he felt. He didn't go. How many times? I can't tell you how many times I've been counseling with somebody and they bring up this statement and it makes me sick. Well, I feel. That's what I do right there. This is what God said. But then, well, I just feel like. Feel, how many of y'all know feelings change with the weather? I used to feel, when I was growing up, I was in South Florida. Never seen snow. I had dreams of seeing snow. I always wanted to see snow. Uh, listen, in South Florida, we would put, when it would go to uh, freeze at night, we would put a sprinkler out in the front yard so we'd have icicles. That's the closest we got to snow we ever had. All my life, I grew up saying, I'm going to live in Alaska. I'm moving to Alaska. When I grow up and I can buy, I'm going to move to Alaska. I'm going to see all the snow I want to see. I'm going to live in Alaska. My feelings have changed. 
I went to Bible college in South Carolina. I was 500 miles away from home. I got there, and it was 25 degrees. And it's 25 degrees in Florida. You stay home. 25 degrees there. I was picking onions, wild onions, out of a, out of a side of a hill, frozen for a landscape guy. I thought, I have lost my mind. What was I thinking? Throw up on the beach and want to go to Alaska. Man, what? Feelings change. Don't base anything on feelings. What saith the scripture? You go to a church that's criticized all over the place. What do we do, preacher? Ask them, what's the Bible say? I don't even argue anymore. I make one statement and I leave it with them. If I'm doing something that the Bible says I'm not supposed to be, or if I'm not doing something the Bible says I am supposed to be, show me. And I don't care about your opinion. I don't care how you've always done it. And I don't care what tradition says. And I don't care how grandma or grandpa done it. What saith the... But see, here's what we've done in America. We've done the same things the Pharisees did in the Gospels. God told, through Jesus, told the Pharisees, you've made the word of God of none effect by your tradition. Amen? The confirmation of the scriptures. Then, then B, write this down. I want you to see not only the confirmation of the scriptures, Paul called two witnesses. Two witnesses. He uses the scripture to back up his statement. He, he uses the scripture to back up uh, what he's trying to teach them. He goes into Genesis 15, and he uses the illustration of Moses. He used the illustration of Moses with uh, 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 Abraham. Moses is writing about Abraham and how he was he trusted in Christ. We'll look at that in just a minute. Then he then he looks at David and writes about David in Psalms chapter number thirty two. He uses two witnesses from the scriptures to prove what he's trying to teach them. In both of the situations, in both of the situations, uh, he he shows that it's by faith, not by works. But he uses the word of God to back. His teaching. Does that make sense? All right, now write this down. We not only see the confirmation of the scriptures, I want you to write this. Let's look at the content of the sermon. Let's look at the content of the sermon. Let's look what he's trying to get across to them. Through both of these situations, all right, Abraham, this is before the circumcision, before the law, and we'll talk all about that in a minute. We see Abraham is called out, and God tells him something. God gives him a promise. Now look in your Bible. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 15 real quick. Genesis chapter number 15, because this is what Paul quotes. Uh, you see it, you see it in uh, verse 3. You see it in verse 3, but I want you to read it in Genesis 15 so that you know I'm telling the truth. All right, in Genesis 15, verse number 6. Genesis 15, verse number 6. This is where Paul is quoting Old Testament scripture to back up his statement and what he's saying about faith. All right, in Genesis 15, verse number 6, have you found your spot? Say amen. It says, when God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations, you can look up at the stars, and that's the way your descendants are going to be. This is what it says. And he believed in the Lord. And what did God do for him? And God, or he counted it to him for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. All right, do you see what happened? He proved to him it was not by anything Abraham did, it was just solely based on Abraham's belief in him. And because of that, he gave him and declared him righteous. 
he declared him righteous. Not by the works of the law, not by because the law wasn't even around yet. It was by his faith. He believed in him. So, and then we see he 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 quotes David in Psalms 32, which we're not going to go there. Don't have time. But I want you to see he uses scripture. Now, watch what he's teaching. Watch what he's teaching in the content of the sermon. We're justified by faith and not works. In Genesis 15, God told him to look at the stars. So shall thy seed and thy descendants be. He believed it or said amen. God gave a promise. Abraham responded. He believed it. And it was that faith that was counted for righteousness. The word counted. The word counted in Romans 4.3 is a Greek word that means to put to one's account. Say that with me. To put to one's account. It is a banking term. This same word is used 11 times in this same chapter. You think it's important? God used it 11 times in one chapter. 11 times, and it's translated reckoned, it's translated imputed, and it's translated counted. And that's the English translation, but it's the same Greek word 11 times in that same chapter. When a man works, he earns a salary, and this money is put to his account. But Abraham did not work for his salvation. He simply trusted God's word. It was Jesus Christ who did the work on the cross, and his righteousness was put on Abraham's account. By what? Because of grace. For by grace, what God did, for by grace are you saved through what we do, that's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Amen? Now watch number two. Watch number two. All right, first, he uses Old Testament Scripture to back up his teaching, to back up what he is trying to produce and, and to prove to the people. It's not by works. It's not by following the law. It's not by, it's not by trying to be good. You know, how many, how many millions of people all over this world think that once they get to heaven, God's going to line up their bad works and line up their good deeds and, 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 and kind of weigh them out, and if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then they're going to get in if they're bad. Because they think they can work their way in. You know what? You know what Jehovah's Witnesses are doing, running up down the highway on bicycles, and going door to door, and 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 doing all these things. They're doing kingdom hours. They're trying to earn their way into heaven. And you know, in a sense, in a sense, we, we we're not of that persuasion, and we don't believe that. But you know, sometimes we can get caught up in the point we're trying to work to please God. Well, if I can just be a little better, if I can ju- just do a little more, we're trying to, how many, it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like sometimes the, the, the child that's starving for the affection of the parent, and they try to do more and more and more and more to get the attention of the father to try to please them and make them happy. Well, if I could just do more here, if I could just accomplish this, then maybe the only difference with that is, is sometimes parents will neglect their children to cause them to do that, but our Father is always loving to us. And it's not because of His neglect of us that causes us to be that way. Sometimes it's our disobedience and sin, and we're trying to make up for our badness. I'm going to just preach a minute. You can't make up for your badness. Sometimes we allow Satan, I don't even know what, this is not even in the notes, but I I feel like I need to say this. Sometimes we allow Satan to put us on a guilt trip 
and we can't even enjoy the blessings of God. We can't even enjoy the presence of God because we're too busy trying to make up for what we've done wrong instead of just enjoying the rest and the forgiveness that God has for us. We're trying to do this. We're trying to. We're, we're, we want to believe in Christ, but we got to add the law. We got to do this. We got to just to make God happy. I got to. I got to. I got to. I got to. And you know what we want to do as parents? We don't want our kids to perform for us. We just want them to be happy. God doesn't want you to perform for Him. He just wants you to be happy. Enjoy your relationship with Him. Amen. Now watch. We got it. We got to. We got to deal with another problem that they had. First, we see he goes back to the scriptures to prove his point. Now, let's let's keep working on this. Let's keep wheeling this chapter down. Verse four. Now, to him that worketh, now see, here's the deal. This is the argument that he's trying to fight: that you get to heaven by working for it, and you get to heaven by following the law. Does everybody understand that? Does everybody understand what we're? Because you really got to get this before you understand what we're fixing to read. He's combating the idea. And he's fighting the theory and the teaching and, and the belief that you got to follow the law and you got to earn your way to heaven. All right? Does everybody understand that? Say amen. All right, now let's go to the next verses and, and talk about this. Verse 3 or verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. In other words, if you got to work for it, you're earning it or you are in debt. You're trying to pay off a debt. It's not grace then. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. Abraham didn't deserve it. Abraham didn't do anything to get the favor of God. He got what. You all know the difference between grace and mercy? Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. Heaven. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve, hell. How many of y'all are glad for mercy and grace? Amen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. Now watch this. Now watch this. If we got to work for it, then it's debt, not grace. Verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that is justified, or excuse me, that believeth on him that justifieth the godly, his faith is counted for righteousness. All right? Even as David, now, now in verse 6 through 8, we find this is David's uh, account of righteousness by God and giving him that, not earning it, but God giving it to him. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now watch this. David takes it a little further. David not only, this is good stuff right here. David not only said that God will impute or put on your account God's righteousness, he also said God will not put on your account your sin. Let me read it again. Y'all looking at me funny. Watch. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth. In other words, he puts on you the righteousness of Christ. He declares you righteous. Not because of your good deeds, because all of our righteousness are as filthy 
We can, it's not our goodness. It's not our baby. It's what Christ did. We get his. We get what he did on the cross put on our account. Say amen. All right? <laughs> Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Watch it. Here it is. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Are y'all getting this? In other words, he will impute or put on our account the righteousness of Christ, but he will not allow to be put on our account our sin. Now, why do you reckon that is? Because Jesus paid for it on the cross. I, now, let me say this. I don't mean you can go out here and get stupid. Well, you just said, no. Don't, don't read what I didn't say. Or don't hear what I didn't say. I did not say you can go out and do anything you want to and not, nothing happened. What do you mean? Whosoever lo- whoever the Lord loveth, he, he will beat your britches. Say amen. What you sow, all right, but it will not be held to your account. He will not impute it on your account. Will you have will you have to will you have to reap some stuff on this earth? Yes. But thank God, he'll never hold it against me the rest of my life. Amen. Now. Here we go, we're fixing to talk about an outward sign of a covenant that God gave Abraham and to the whole nation of Israel. A sign of circumcision. Y'all know what that is? Y'all know that it was a ceremonial ritual and it was just an outward sign of what God had done for Abraham and the nation of Israel on the inside. Now, God said this will be a covenant the rest of your days, the rest of your life, or all of your descendants uh, of my covenant between me and you, the, the covenant sign of circumcision. Now, what was happening is the nation of Israel was depending more on a ritualistic sign and a covenant than what, what happened on the inside. You see, you see, what Paul is fixing to prove is that Abraham was righteous before God ever established the covenant. Now, why, why was that important? You remember what we said? Here's what, here's, what, here's what the Judaizers was trying to do. Here's what the Judaizers was trying to do. After Jesus came, after Jesus came, we believe that by grace you believe with faith in Jesus Christ. They had that right. But then they said this, but we believe you got to do this. What is that? A plus. You got to do this, and then they added works in the law. In other words, in order to be righteous, all the Gentiles, they had to believe in Christ, then they had to become Jewish. Are y'all with me? You see why this is so important? And, and they said, okay, in order to be right with God, and this is the crew that Paul's dealing with. That's why he's teaching on this. You have to believe in Christ, 
and you have to follow the works or follow the law and do the works of the law, which was circumcision. You had to be circumcised. That was an outward sign of the covenant. You couldn't be right with God unless you did that. And what Paul is fixing to do is teach them and show them that God declared Abraham righteous before any of this ever came into being. Watch. Nine, verse nine. Y'all with me? Now, I'm probably going to go a little deeper than what y'all are, some of y'all are used to or what some of you are baby Christians and all. Just stay with me. I promise you, just stay with me. You'll learn something. Uh, this is, this is, here's the thing. There's way too many churches that are bottle feeding their Christians every week. You're never going to grow on milk. The Bible says, as a babe in Christ, desire the sincere milk of the word. We need that, but then we need to grow up. Amen? And we need meat. We need to chew on meat. And this is meat. Now watch this. Verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only. In other words, those that had the covenant signed. Those Jewish people. In other words, are Jews the only ones that are going to be forgiven? Or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now read that again. Read that statement I just said. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for, in other words, he gained righteousness by this, not this. Then he goes to describing it. Verse number, verse number uh, 10. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Now watch this. Look in your notes. Number two. We not only see the truth he references, but I want you to see the timing he reminds. The timing he reminds. A, write this down. The timing of the covenant. The timing of the covenant. All right? Now watch this. Here, here. let me, let me read it and then, I, and then I'll illustrate. As we have seen, the Jews gloried in circumcision in the law. If a Jew was to become righteous before God, he would have to be circumcised and obey the law. Paul had already made it clear in Romans 2, 12 and through 29 that there must be an inward obedience to the law and a circumcision of the heart. Mere external observances can never save the law sinner. Let me, let me illustrate that for us today. You can, you can put on a suit, you can put on a tie, and ladies, you can put on a dress and, and you can and all the stuff that we, we say you got to, to look right and all that kind of stuff. You can do all of that stuff and be lost. You can go to church every, every day of the week and be lost. It's not what's on the outside. It's what happens on the inside. That's what Paul was trying to teach him. It wasn't an outward sign, an outward ritualistic uh, observance. It was what happens on the inside. Abraham was declared righteous when he was in the state of uncircumcision. From the Jewish point of view, Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And this was more than 14 years after the events in Genesis 15. The conclusion is obvious. Circumcision had nothing to do with justification. Now let's illustrate this. Genesis 15, say that with me. In Genesis 15, God gave uh, Abraham a promise. Abraham believed it, and God counted it righteous. You are righteous. I declare you righteous. The same way 
that when Brother O'Neill came to the altar and the, the preacher said, God said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he believed it. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you shall be saved. God declared him righteous the moment he believed what God had promised. Say amen. He was declared righteous. Done deal. Faith. He, he got saved by faith. He believed God. God declared him righteous. Fourteen years later, in Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is 14 years after Genesis 15. Now he receives the covenant of circumcision. In other words, he said, he said, because you believed in me and I've given you a promise and we've got a covenant together, he said, I want you to have an outward sign that's going to remind you every day of your life you're in covenant with me and it will remind your people, the nation of Israel, that they're in covenant with me. I am their God. They are my people. We have a bond together. That's all it was. How do we illustrate that today? You don't get saved by getting in that baptistry and being baptized. Baptism is just an outward sign of what God has done on the inside of your heart. Y'all with me? But what was happening, the crew that Paul was dealing with and the crew that Paul was writing to, they were trying to say that you have to do this to be right with God. And Paul was teaching them that Abraham was right with God before this ever took place. Does that make sense? Now watch. Not only the timing of the covenant. What was the conclusion? It was obvious. Circumcision had nothing to do with justification. Now why is that important? Why is the illustration I just gave important? Do you realize there's a, there's a, a denomination that teaches? There's a denomination that teaches that if you don't get baptized after you get saved, then you go to hell. They do. And that's, they get, some of them, they dunk all the time. Because they're constantly messing up, so they just re-dunk them. I'm serious. They, they teach that, they, and, and, that's, and, and this is their thing. So I asked them one time, all right, so, so say a guy comes and gets saved. He don't have no clothes to change into. And he's, he's going to come back that night, but on the way home, a truck runs him over. Did he go to hell? We know that. But they think he did because he didn't get baptized. What's baptism? Well, I tell you what. And, you know, you, anyway, I'm not going to get in that argument. I'm running out of time. Anyhow. Anyhow, here's the deal. We believe it's by faith. Now, do I believe you need to be baptized? Absolutely, 100 million percent sure. Why? Because God said to. But it's not a prerequisite. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's not a requirement for salvation. Did the thief on the cross, did the thief on the cross, did he get off the cross and get baptized? And here's what some of them, some of them will argue with you. Say, listen, uh, that was, that was, the old way, that's in the old text. No, Jesus died before a thief did. That puts the thief in the New Testament. But either way, here's the point. 
It's not by law. It's not by an outward. It's not by an outward work. It's not by an outward ritualistic deal that you follow. It's by faith. All right. He reminds them of the timing of the covenant. But then not only that, but B, the timing of the law. The timing of the law. And by the way, if you've gotten saved and you haven't gotten baptized yet, you need to get baptized. Listen, you, you need to you need to be completely walking with God and 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 fulfilling and following the command of God in the Bible. But I don't want you and see this is where we go back. What saith the scripture? You cannot add to faith because if it's this, it's not this. You with me? All right. Now, the timing of the law. Look what he says in verse number uh, 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness shall be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. In other words, Abraham physically, Abraham physically is the father of the Jewish nation. But Abraham spiritually is the father of all those who believe in Christ. That's what he's saying in this chapter. You are spiritually our father. Not just of the Jewish nation, but of the Gentile nations also, if they believe in you, or believe in Christ. All right? Now, look in verse 12. Excuse me, verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of what? Faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. All right? Uh, look in, look in your, your, your notes. We see the timing of the covenant, the timing of the law. Abraham was also justified before the law was given. And this fact Paul discusses in Romans 4, 13 through 17. The key word here is what? Underline that in your notes. Underline that in your notes. The key word is promise. He believed the promise. The key word is promise. Abraham was justified by believing God's promise, not by obeying God's law. Read the, underline that. Abraham was justified not, or excuse me, Abraham was justified by believing God's promise, not by obeying God's law. For God's law, why, why, why do we know that? Because his law was not written yet. It didn't come to Mount Sinai with Moses. Years and years and years after. All right? Uh, for God's law through Moses had not been given. The promise to Abraham was given purely through God's grace. Abraham did not earn it or merit it. So today God justifies the ungodly because they believe his gracious promise, not because they obey his law. The law was not given to save men. Read this with me, everybody. Everybody read this. The law was not given to save men, but to show men that they need to be saved. Church, say amen. All right, number three. Let's hurry. Let's hurry. I went overtime last week, and we had children running everywhere. Amen. Uh, number three. Number three. What was number one? Tell me number one again. We see the... Everybody say it. Number one, we see the... Number two, we see the... 
All right, number three, write this down before you, you got it written down. Amen. The triumph he records. What is, the, what is the most exciting part of this chapter? I think it's toward the end when God begins to talk about the, the real, genuine faith of Abraham. We see the triumph he records. I want you to see this. Write this. A, we see the power of a Savior. The power of a Savior. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Boy, before I studied all this, it, I, I, when I would read that before, father of many nations, you're the father of one. You're the nation of Israel. How could you be the father of many nations? And he wasn't talking about physically. He was talking about spiritually. He's the father of many nations spiritually through the belief in Jesus Christ. He says through this, through this, the Bible says before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead. Quickeneth means make alive, make alive. He has the power to make alive. It's just like when he came into town with Mary and Martha and Lazarus was dead. And they said, and he said, look, don't, don't worry, don't fret, don't cry. Your brother will live again. And they said, we know at the resurrection, Martha said. But Jesus said, I want you to know I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we got to understand, with faith, there is great power. That's why government programs don't work very good at fixing people. But when they come in contact with the power of the gospel, there is something about it that changed my father. Listen, people couldn't change my father. My grandma couldn't change my father. Good people with great intentions couldn't change my father. He was mean as a devil and drinking and carrying on and wanting to fight everybody. But he ran into somebody by the name of Jesus Christ, and it turned his world upside down. It sobered him up. It cleaned him up. It humbled him up, and he was different ever since. He never took another drink. He never acted that way again. It changed his whole life. Works can't do that. The law can't do that. The law will produce anger. The law, listen, for instance, you walk down the sidewalk. Sign says, don't step on the grass. What are you going to do? Brother Chris, can you attest to this? The signs, Brother Chris is a painter, wet paint, don't touch. How many fingerprints have you had to touch up? Why? They just sum in you that the law brings out the rebel in everybody. Speed limit, 55. You're going 57. Even people that don't speed go 57. I usually go 87, but it don't matter, you know. That's what the law does. But there's something about the power of the gospel. Say, what, what, what do you mean the power of the gospel? See, God in his power, he quickeneth the dead, and I like this one. Man, I like this one. He calleth those things which be not as though they were. Y'all ain't, ain't getting it. He calleth those things that be, in our eyes,
realize it seems impossible. In our mind, it seems like it can't be done. But you see, what was the promise to Abraham? You're going to have a son. Now, if he's 25 years old, that's no issue. But when you're 100, we got issues. <laughs> I, I, I ain't going to do it. I got it. <laughs> Man, I'm going to get to it probably. 455, we got it right here. The power of a Savior. Paul saw the rejuvenation of Abraham's body as a picture of resurrection from the dead. And then he related it to the resurrection of Christ. One reason why God delayed. You ever wonder why he gave him a promise and then waited so long to fulfill it? He was illustrating salvation. And as long as Abraham physically had the ability to get the job done, it was Abraham getting the job done. Even when Sarah had gone beyond the years where it was physically possible for her, it was no longer phys physically possible for her, but yet it was still for him. Y'all remember when he had, he had the son with, with the, the other woman? Amen? See, it couldn't be then. God couldn't use him yet because he physically still had the ability. Y'all with me? He had to wait till they were both broke. They were both powerless. They were both helpless. Y'all with me? It was unthinkable. It was unthinkable that a man 99 years old could beget a child in the womb of his wife who was 89 years old. From a reproductive point of view, both of them were what? Dead. You know what the Bible says we are in our trespasses and in sins? Dead. Dead. Without the possibility of health. Without the possibility of life. What is dead? It means no more life. Mm. The application in salvation is clear. God must wait until the sinner is dead and unable to help himself before he can release his saving power. As long as the lost sinner thinks he is strong enough to do anything to please God, he cannot be saved by grace. It was when Abraham admitted that he was dead that God's power went to work in his body. It is when the lost sinner confesses that he is spiritually dead and unable to help himself that God can save him. The power of a Savior. Preacher, what do you believe happened? I believe physically when Abraham got to the point that he was physically dead where he could not reproduce, where he no longer had reproductive life-producing ability, I believe God restored all of that in him and in her to produce life. What's the point? When we get dead in our lives, and it seems like the devil's destroyed everything about us and we have nothing else to show, is when God moves in and restores and brings to life everything the devil's hid. 
but it's not until we get to that point where we realize it's nothing I can see. As long as Abraham could make a baby, he could brag on Abraham. But when he got to the point that he was helpless, you see why this illustration is so important, ladies and gentlemen? Until you realize that you're helpless. As long as you can do something, you're not helpless. But when you get to the point you realize that you can't do anything to save you, then this comes into action. <laughs> 50 seconds. A friend of mine's church in North Carolina, this, this economy killed them terribly. They lost their building. They've been to court. They've done everything possible, every every imaginable thing they could. And by the way, put the persuasion of a saint there because y'all going to aggravate me after Bible study because I didn't say this. But put it and y'all read it later. But this is it right here. Put your pen down and look at me. you got to get this before we dismiss. Hurry up, hurry up. Children are running. <laughs> now watch this. Watch this. They lost their building. For a couple years now, they've been fighting, doing everything in their power to save their building. Everything. And they lost it. A couple weeks ago, on a Saturday, they were in there loading up everything, taking it out of the building. Small country church. They'd gotten into debt for about 350000 350000 they were broken, some weeping, but totally powerless to change anything. They were carrying the stuff out of the building. And somebody rode by the church, saw what they were doing, turned around, come back, walked in the building and said, what are y'all doing? And with tears in their eyes, they explained the, the situation and the story. The guy got with the pastor and said, can I talk to you a minute? He said, I need you to get your lawyers and meet with my lawyers at whatever the, the office was. And took him up there. He wrote a check for the whole shamolium. 300 and something, $350,000, $360,000 wrote a check, paid it off, signed the deed into the name of the church. Now the church is completely debt-free. But this is what the lady said to me. We tried everything in our to fix it. And it wasn't until we were helpless or dead that the resurrection power of God went to work. I don't know about y'all, but that's shouting ground right there. Some of y'all at your last rope, some of y'all in your life, there's things going on and you just felt, maybe it's somebody you've been praying for. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a situation that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's a dream that you've got. That you've tried everything in your to fix, to change, to whatever 
Maybe God's just waiting for you to say, God, I've tried everything I know to do. I've tried everything. I, I'm helpless. God said, now I can. One more illustration. Abraham, not Abraham, Moses. Moses. He's got a desire in his heart for his people. And he sees an Egyptian persecuting an Israelite. And he goes and kills him. Smites him. He you see, God has, do you know before you even step up to do something for God, God's already put it in you to do it? And it was there, that, that, but see, he wasn't ready yet because he still thought it was his power, his might, his ability. So he took matters in his own. He had to flee. And for 40 years, God had to work on him. To empty himself of everything of himself. One day after 40 years, he's out there thinking, I'm washed up. I'll never be used again. That thing in me, I did, it just, the spark is gone. He saw a burning bush. And when he saw that burning bush, God said, I got a job for you. And I can imagine Moses said, I done tried that one time. And the first time he said, I can, here. And he took matters in his own hands. But God said, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to set my people free. I want you to go deliver my people. This is what Moses said, I can't. And God said, now you're ready. As long as you think you can, you can't. But when you get to that point and you realize you can't, then he can. And i got to shut up. <laughs> Let's pray again right here, five minutes overtime. We, we need a longer kids program, don't we? Father, thank you so much for everything that you do. I'm so glad when I can't, you can't. I'm so glad when I come to the end of myself and I can't figure out what to do next, you've already figured it out and know what to do. God, I'm glad there's supernatural resurrection power in you for every area of my life that the devil's tried to kill. I pray that you'll move on every person in here. Bring hope back where he has stolen hope. Bring restoration of, of everything that he's taken away. I pray that you'll move in our heart. Let us believe the scriptures and put our confidence, not in man's opinion, not in man's tradition, but in the scriptures. Help us to focus on your word. God, thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Nobody move. Where's everybody supposed to?